Let's pray together. Father, it is a joy for your people to gather together, to read your word and to sing your praises, to pray to you and to now open your word together. Pray that you would be with me, that you would give me joy and excitement as I preach your word. I pray that you would strengthen my voice. Pray for those who are listening. Father, we acknowledge that it is hot and humid in this room, uh, that our uh, projector is not working, uh, that there are many uh, potential snares of distraction, but we pray that you would keep our minds focused on your word, and uh, even more importantly, that you would give us soft hearts that would receive your word. Pray that the Holy Spirit would work powerfully in this hour. We pray that Christ would be exalted from your word among your people. Pray that you would help us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know about you, but like I've had a lot of fun uh, doing this series on the local church. Uh, typically, we at First Baptist will go through a book of the Bible, and so topical preaching uh, isn't typically our jam here, but uh, I'm really, really thankful for what uh, the Lord has done through this series. Uh, we've been able to talk about what the church is, uh, what uh, preaching is, the primacy of preaching. We've talked about elders and deacons. Uh, we've talked about the ordinances, right? The Lord's Supper and baptism. Uh, we've talked about membership and discipline. And the last time you'll remember we talked about uh, congregational singing in the life of the church. Uh, just the, the joy and the wonder of God's people singing God's praises together. And so I've really enjoyed uh, talking and thinking through these things. And uh, even more than that, my hope is that uh, we as a church uh, will have grown in our understanding and our practice of these things. But you know what they say, uh, all good things must come to an end. Party's got to end sometime. And so uh, this morning is going to be our final sermon in this series. And I want to close out this series by uh, talking about one of the most important things that should be happening just in the day-to-day -day life of any healthy local church, uh, which is discipling. So I'll just start by making sure that we're all on the same page here. Uh, what exactly is discipling? Uh, our definition for this morning, uh, discipling is intentionally investing in relationships with other believers to bring about greater spiritual maturity. Intentionally investing in relationships with other believers to bring about greater spiritual maturity. Now maybe that's not the best definition, maybe that's not the most precise definition, but I think it's good enough to be our starting point for this morning. A discipling is intentionally investing in relationships with other believers to bring about greater spiritual maturity. Here's another way to think about it. God has promised in his word uh, for all his children that they will be conformed to the image of his son. Right? We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed uh, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Well, if we see that as kind of like the end of our walk with the Lord, uh, we can think of discipling as just kind of helping one another to get there. And so that might include any number of means, which we're going to talk about today. 
Uh, But really, at the end of the day, it's about believers coming alongside each other in their walks with the Lord, helping each other get to this ultimate destination, if you will, of being like Jesus. So that's what I want to think about today. Uh, What does discipling then look like? like? Like how does the Bible present this process by which you and I, by which we can help each other to bring about greater spiritual maturity, uh, to grow in Christ-likeness. But before we get to the how of discipling, I want to first start with just kind of three important clarifications about disciples and discipling, because the terminology can get kind of confusing if it means different things to different people. Uh, So first clarification, all Christians are disciples. Uh, There's some confusion out there on this, like... You got some groups that have like regular Christians, right? That's like anybody who believes. And then you've got like disciples, right? These are like like the ones that really take their faith seriously, like the super Christians are disciples. Uh, and so you've got regular Christians with their limited gifts and their limited anointing and their limited commitment. But then you've got the disciples, like they're just set apart from the rest uh, in some way. But the Bible's pretty clear. That all Christians are disciples. Acts 11, uh, 26. I'll read this. Uh, When Barnabas had found Saul, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The disciples were called Christians. Disciple equals Christian. They're one and the same. Or consider Acts 6.1. It says, the, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. Now that's not referring to like super Christians or really committed Christians. or It's referring to everyone who received the word as the apostles preached it in the book of Acts and got saved. And that's because, clarification number one, all Christians are disciples. Clarification number two is that all Christians should disciple. All Christians are disciples, and all Christians should disciple. And here's another potential point of confusion, because some of you might think, well, uh, I'm a Christian, but discipling, that's not for me. That's for the, the pastors and the elders. That's their job. Well, if we think again about our definition... What is discipling? Discipling is intentionally investing in relationships with other believers to bring about greater spiritual maturity. Well, we quickly realize that that's something that's, at least to some extent, commanded of every believer in the New Testament. Like, part of discipling is what we read in the scripture reading this morning, Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you might be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And part of discipling is Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. And part of discipling is 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And you may have noticed that all of those commands... They're not just addressed to pastors and elders. They're addressed to the entire church, right? To every believer. Now that includes pastors and elders, of course, right? Pastors and elders should be taking the lead in terms of equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. But it's not just the pastors and elders who should be doing the discipling. 
Because clarification number two, all Christians should disciple. So all Christians are disciples and all Christians should disciple. A third, only Christians can be discipled. Remember the goal of bringing about, uh, the goal of discipling rather, is to bring about greater spiritual maturity. It's to bring about likeness to Christ. Well, if someone's an unbeliever, that's impossible. Right? Only disciples can truly be discipled. And this is where our theology is really important for just our practical Christianity. Like our theology of salvation impacts how we do day-to-day life as Christians. Because the Bible teaches that all are, left to themselves, spiritually dead. Right? Dead in trespasses and sins. And that only those who've had the Holy Spirit regenerate them, right, that are born again, only Christians have spiritual life. Uh, And so spiritual life then is just like physical life in the sense that there's no like in-between, right? You're either dead or you're alive. Uh, There's no half physically alive people and there's no half spiritually alive people. You're either dead or you're alive. And so sometimes you'll hear, Uh, a Christian say, yeah, I've been discipling an unbeliever. Now, what they probably mean is that they're trying to make a disciple. Like, they're they're intentionally evangelizing that person, that God might save that person. And praise God, that's, that's a wonderful work. But if they actually mean that they are investing time and effort and energy trying to get an unbeliever to grow spiritually, well, you see, that's impossible. Like we have real plants in our house and we have fake plants in our house. Uh, You can water the fake plants all you want. They're not going to grow. Why not? Because it's not alive. My kids have dolls, right? You can give all the food you want to a doll. It's not going to grow. Why? Because it is not alive. In the same way, you can disciple an unbeliever all you want, but he or she is not going to grow because he or she is not spiritually alive. It's, it's casting pearls before swine. Where there is no life, there can be no growth. And so if you're with us this morning and you are not a Christian, well, most of this sermon will not be applicable to you. Because this sermon is about how Christians invest in other Christians for the purpose of spiritual growth and conformity to Christ. But you can neither spiritually grow nor be conformed into the image of Christ because as it stands now, you are spiritually dead. But the good news of the gospel is that God gives life. God brings life, spiritual life, that leads to eternal life by sending his son to die for sinners like me and like you. Uh, Through Jesus taking our sins upon himself and suffering the wrath of God that our sins merit and instead giving us his perfect record. So that all who repent of their sin and uh, turn away from their sin and turn to Christ, who trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, well, you can be saved. Today you can have life by looking to Christ. That's the most important thing you're going to hear today. That today you can have life. You can become a disciple if you look to Christ. 
And so those are our three kind of clarifications right up front. All Christians are disciples. All Christians should disciple. And only Christians can be discipled. With that in mind, let's now think about how we as believers might disciple one another. And I've got three points for you if you're taking notes. Uh, First, we disciple by teaching and learning. Second, we disciple by living and imitating. And third, we disciple by pointing and looking to Christ. And we'll close with a few points of practical application. So first, point number one, uh, we disciple by teaching and learning. A discipleship, discipling, uh, as I'm going to argue in a little bit, is uh, it's more than just teaching, but it's also not less than teaching. Uh, you think about the Great Commission, Matthew 28, you probably know this by heart, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we all know that first, but you know what comes right after it in verse 20? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's a huge part of making disciples is teaching each other to do what Jesus said. And then consider what Paul writes to Timothy, right? Timothy is Paul's beloved disciple. 2 Timothy 1.13 says, Follow the pattern of the sound words, the teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You might say, well, Paul, Paul was an apostle and uh, Timothy was a pastor. You you see, uh, this is talking about people with official teaching positions discipling one another. Well, yeah, there are those who are set apart in the church to teach. We talked about the office of elder a few weeks ago. But there's also a sense in which every Christian is expected and equipped to teach and instruct one another on at least some level. Romans 15, 14 says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. And women. And we talked a few weeks ago about why women can't be pastors, uh, why they can't teach men in the context of the church. But even women are commanded, Titus 2, to teach one another. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So you see, teach, 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 teach. Like everybody is at least to some extent teaching something to someone. And that's because teaching is essential to discipling. You simply cannot make disciples. You cannot grow in Christ-likeness. You cannot grow in spiritual maturity without teaching. Now, most of us, I think when we hear the word teaching in the context of the church, we're probably in our minds picturing one person right, who has prepared something uh, standing up in front of a group of people and, and giving a lesson or giving a Bible study or, or preaching a sermon. Now that is teaching. 
And that is a very important part of discipling. But there's so many other ways in which teaching manifests itself in discipling. It can be just two brothers who get together and, and just read the Bible, right? No prep necessary at all. You're just reading the Bible and teaching one another by just sharing how God is speaking through this text, right? And things that we've noticed, things that are convicting to us. Uh, it could be two sisters just grabbing breakfast on a Monday morning, talk about Sunday's sermon, uh, how we can apply it to our lives and teach one another in the process, it could be a bunch of brothers getting together to discuss a book that we've been reading. And each kind of teaching one another, encouraging one another by uh, talking about things that stood out to them or things that were helpful or convicting. It could be a young single lady going over while a mom is watching her kids and just kind of sneaking in conversations, right? Teaching about parenting or marriage or whatever it might be in between games with the kids. But here's my point. In any true discipling, there has to be teaching. There has to be some kind of teaching. Like if you're just hanging out, just going to grab dinner or uh, watching movies or just getting together, uh, but spiritual subjects never come up and biblical wisdom is never shared, uh, the things of God are never discussed, well, that's not really discipling. It's not inherently evil. It's not necessarily bad. Like there is a time and place for that kind of fellowship. But it's not discipling and, and we ought not get those things confused. Like maybe the reason that your discipling relationships have been kind of fruitless is because you're not actually discipling one another. You're just spending time together. Because discipling has to include some kind of teaching. Right? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now maybe you say, well, if discipling is mainly about teaching, I'm not sure I need to be discipled because I get teaching. I, I listen to sermons. I, I attend Bible studies. Praise God, right? That that's a good thing that you're under regular, faithful, biblical teaching. But think about how a discipling relationship and the teaching that goes on in that context can be a helpful supplement to more formal avenues of teaching. Uh, because let's be honest, right? There's a temptation uh, with sermons, with Bible studies that we attend and we sit under and we listen to. There's a temptation for us to just listen. Uh, just grow in understanding and knowledge without necessarily being pushed, right? To apply it and live it out. But it's a lot harder to compartmentalize it and uh, keep it theoretical in a more intimate discipling context. Because hopefully in that context, uh, you're not just learning, but you're, you're being challenged and, and you're being held accountable to apply the principles that you're learning right, to your everyday life. And so you can hear a sermon about anger. Right? Maybe you kind of grow in your theological understanding. Okay, anger is a, is a heart issue. Um, anger is it's connected to idolatry. Uh, the different ways that anger can manifest itself. And you grow in that theoretical knowledge... But then you start meeting with a couple of believers and you're talking about that sermon. Now you're pushing each other to really practically apply it. Hey, what are some ways in which you're struggling with anger? Uh, what are some of the idols of your heart that you are willing to become angry about? Like you're going to defend these things. 
And if that causes you to be angry, so be it. Or hey, here's, here's one way in which I've been, I've been angry uh, with my wife, with, with my children. Uh, can you please hold me accountable? Please ask me about that. And so you've got formal teaching and you've got the kind of informal uh, discipling teaching. And I'm not saying that one type of teaching ought to replace another or is a substitute for the other or anything like that. I'm just saying that both are important avenues that God uses. And so don't throw away the need for discipling just because you're already hearing all other kinds of teaching. And don't throw away the formal avenues of teaching just because you're in a discipling relationship. Let me also say this while we're on the topic of discipling by teaching. Uh, Remember that the best source of teaching on any topic pertaining to the Christian life is the Bible itself. And that is not to say that you can't benefit from reading good Christian books. No, you should read good Christian books, but we don't want to adopt the mentality of like, oh, such and such a book, that's what we really need to learn and to teach and to grow and to disciple. Right? Like as if the like, latest bestseller will, will take us beyond the Bible in terms of spiritual maturity and growth. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that the scriptures are profitable for teaching for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, right, to equip us for every good work. And that's basically the essence of discipleship. Now, can other resources like books be helpful to point us to that? Absolutely. And so I'm not saying to throw out the books. Not to the glory of God, right? Read good books that are biblical and Christ-centered and will help you to grow. All I'm saying is don't overlook or, or throw out your Bibles in the process. Point number one, a disciple by teaching and learning. What I need is not a bottle of water. What I need is like a bath towel. But I'm okay. I'll be good. We're all in this together. We're all sweating together. Oh, there we go. Thank you. All right. Point number two, disciple by living and imitating. We have disciple by teaching and learning. We also have disciple by living and imitating. Uh, back in Jesus' day, uh, you had this idea of uh, the master or the teacher, right? And then the disciple. Uh, the master would uh, teach the disciple everything that he knew. Right? And so you see Paul refer to like learning at the feet of Gamaliel, right? That's what he was doing. But in addition to like just the straight up teaching the disciple would also follow the master around and do everything with the master and live as the master lived and imitate the master in every way. And so that's why Jesus says things like, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will become like his teacher. Right? That's what he's referring to there. And you get a sense of uh, that kind of intentionality even from how Jesus calls his disciples. He doesn't say... Hey, uh, leave your fisher, fisherman net and come and listen to my sermons. Right? Listen to my teaching. He just says, follow me. Follow me. I love how Mark describes Jesus calling his disciples. Uh, this is what it says in Mark three, thirteen and 14. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles 
so that they might be with him. He called the 12 so that they might be with him. That they might do life with him. Uh, So they can go everywhere with him and eat with him and go to the market with him and talk with him and hear him teach and all of that. And so we see that, that this idea of discipling by just living and imitating, well, this goes all the way back to Jesus himself. By the way, don't you think it's interesting that that's what Jesus did? He just called a small group of men to follow him. I mean, he could have spent his entire time on earth like wowing the multitudes with signs and miracles. He could have dropped knowledge on, on, on the great crowds. But in the wisdom of his plan, what does Jesus do with most of his earthly life, most of his earthly ministry? He doesn't spend his time with the multitudes as much as he spends his time with a few, the 12, and even a smaller subset of that 12. That's his plan to establish his kingdom. And so we would do well to follow his example in setting examples for others like that. So in Christian living, in just just day-to-day discipling, a huge part of it is not just taught, but it's also caught. It's not just an intake of information as much as it is an imitation of older, more mature believers. That idea is all over the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Like, we're giving you our lives because you had become very dear to us. And so there is a teaching aspect, right? We were ready to share with you the gospel of God, but there's also a living aspect. We're giving you our own selves. Watch our lives. And we're ready to share both. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, a famous verse, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And there Paul makes it clear, right? The point of imitating him, the reason that he lives as an example for his disciples is for the ultimate purpose of discipling that we established earlier, that he might help others to be more like Jesus. Right? I'm being like Jesus. I'm imitating Jesus. And if you imitate me, well, then you in that process are becoming more like Jesus. And then Philippians 3.17 takes it another step, right? Paul writes, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So now it's not just imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's imitate people who are imitating me as I imitate Christ. I can give you a dozen more verses about just living, imitating, being examples, but I think you get the point. And I love how uh, just 2 Timothy 3.10 combines, right, point number one and point number two, right? Teaching and living. 2 Timothy 3.10, you, however, Paul's talking to Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, right? My teaching and my living. You have been discipled through both. And so he tells Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, Because both yourself, your life, and your teaching are important, crucial parts of discipling. I'm sure if we went around the room, we could think of a million examples from our own lives in which the things that we do as Christians, 
they don't come from explicit biblical commands, but they come from the example that we've seen in another believer. Like sometimes it's surprising if you think about this, like to consider just how little of the day-to-day Christian life, like the things that you do as a Christian, how little of it is actually based on like explicit biblical commands. A lot of it is following examples that we've seen as others have tried to live out the principles of Scripture. Like where you said, I I like what he does there, or I I like what she's doing there. I'm going to imitate him. I'm going to imitate her as he or she imitates Christ. I'll give you a few examples. Uh, There is a scriptural command that we store up the Word of God in our hearts, right? Scripture memory, memorizing the Bible. But the Bible says nothing about how we are to memorize Scripture, like the methods of memorizing Scripture. I personally use index cards. And you know why I use index cards? Because that's how Pastor Gary George taught me how to do it years ago. Every parent knows that they should lead family devotions. But dads, how do you actually implement family worship? The Bible does not give us a step-by-step guide, right? What do you do? You call the children and then you do. Why does our family do what we do, right? Gather the children before bed. We'll sing a hymn. We'll read a portion of scripture. We'll talk about it. We'll ask some questions. Maybe we'll play a game and then we'll pray. Why do we do that? Well, it's a combination of what I have seen other parents do with their children. And I've just kind of picked and chosen elements of each that I think will work best in our context. Or, I don't know, each of us knows that we have to evangelize, right? That's a biblical command. No one's going to deny that. But how do we actually do that? How do we start up conversations with strangers? How do we lead conversations to the gospel? Well, we learn that by imitating others, by watching others. So back to that hypothetical question from earlier. Well, if discipling is mainly about teaching, I'm not sure I need to be discipled because I'm getting enough teaching through sermons and Bible studies Well, now we see a second major hole in that kind of thinking. Uh, You are missing out on a major component of discipling, which is just watching and imitating other believers. But you see, point number two, right? Discipling by living and imitating. Well, that implies, that assumes that we're building strong relationships within the body. Because really, like, as far as living and imitating, like you're not going to get that much from watching someone's life from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. on a Sunday morning, right? Like anybody could look good for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. If we really want to see examples of like faith, like working in someone's life, if we really want to see someone persevere through something and and trust God and choose righteousness over sin and uh, example repentance, I think we need to be a lot more involved in one another's life than just seeing each other on Sunday mornings. We need to be in each other's homes, right? We need to watch how we interact with our spouses and our kids in the context of our crazy homes. We need to watch how we conduct ourselves when we're out and about. How do we make decisions? How do we respond when we're sinned against? How do we apply the word to everyday situations and so on? Point number two, disciple by living and imitating. Point number three, we disciple by pointing and looking to Christ. 
We disciple by pointing and looking to Christ. And so we disciple by teaching. We disciple by living and examples. We also disciple by pointing and looking to Christ. And I think this is really important for us to consider because sometimes, thank you so much, sometimes discipling can almost become like a program. Right? Like we just, we just have to get through this book. We just have to get through these assignments. We just need to keep each other accountable for reading and praying and scripture memorization. And amen, like all of that is awesome. Uh, It's good to finish books and it's good to complete assignments. And it's good to hold one another accountable to spiritual disciplines. But if you're anything like me, like you can get so caught up in the doing aspect, right, of discipling. That you can forget the big picture. Like what you're trying to accomplish in the first place. Which again, is to spur one another on to become more like Jesus. And so we need to actively guard one another against that pitfall by, like, in the midst of discipling one another, constantly looking to and pointing one another to Christ. Like, just stop and think, like, okay, what does this book, I'm not just trying to get through all these chapters, what does this book tell me about Jesus? How are my reading and my praying and my scripture memorization helping me to delight more in Jesus and look more like Jesus? Remember that verse from Mark 3 about Jesus calling to himself disciples so that they could be with him? Well, think about the ultimate effect of that. Like, what was the outcome of that? Well, it wasn't just getting through a bunch of books or completing a program or like a set of spiritual disciplines. You want to know what three years of being with Jesus did to a group of uneducated, untrained, like religious outsiders? Acts 4.13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And here it is, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Like it was undeniable to everybody who saw them that they had been with Jesus. Like everybody could tell. They just had that unique aroma of Christ from the time that they spent with him. So at the end of the day, like, as a result of us discipling one another, it should be evident to those around us that we're growing in knowledge, yes. That, that, that we're growing in understanding, yes. That we're growing in practice, yes. But most of all, it should be evident to those around us that we've been with Jesus. Because we've intentionally tried to, in our discipling, point one another to Christ. Spur one another on towards him. So point number three Disciple by pointing and looking to Christ. So hopefully this has already been a very uh, practical sermon. But how can we further practically think about and and apply and implement these things to the glory of God? Uh, Let me give you three application points. uh, And all of them are brought to you by the letter S. Application point number one is to seek. uh, Seek it out. Seek out discipling relationships. Because here's the thing, in our uh, increasingly individualistic society, and that mentality has no doubt crept into the local church, like all of the natural like momentum and inertia, uh, it's against all these things that we've been talking about. Like left to ourselves, without intentional thought and purpose, uh, it is easy enough for us to come to church together on a Sunday morning because that's kind of what we were supposed to do. 
and then carry on with our individual lives like throughout the week and just largely ignore the body of Christ. And we're probably more prone to this kind of Christian living than any previous era of the church just because there's, there's so many resources out there that we can access on our own. Like whether it's books or articles or sermons or podcasts or whatever it is that we can get online. Like it used to be that if you wanted to like learn about something or be encouraged or whatever, like you had to intentionally seek out another person. Well, but now we can just access things with a few clicks on the internet or uh, even have Amazon Prime ship it to you by Tuesday. But here's the thing. While books and resources and articles and sermons and podcasts, while, while they can be helpful, they can be life-changing. They, they can be really sanctification-shaping resources. But at the end of the day, like reading a book is never truly going to be able to hold you accountable. Uh, reading articles online is never going to speak to your specific situation like somebody who has gotten to know you well can. And listening to a sermon, like, no matter how good the sermon is, it's never going to be able to live out an example of, I don't know, how to be a good husband or a good father. But all that's only going to come if you intentionally seek it out, if you intentionally structure your relationships in that way. Now, might that at times be awkward? Yeah. Maybe the answer is going to be no sometimes. Like it just doesn't work out. Uh, schedules or uh, prior commitments or whatever it is. But friends, don't let failures uh, stop you from seeking out something that God can genuinely use in our church, right, to grow his people into the image of his son. Application point number one is to seek it out. Against all the, the currents and the tides that will push against that, seek it out. Application point number two is to be structured and spontaneous. So that's two S's for the price of one. Structured and spontaneous. First, in your discipling, you want to be structured. And here's what I mean by that. Like, you want to be intentional. You, you've sought it out, right? That's application point number one. You, you've been purposeful about establishing this relationship. Well, now you've got to put a, a, a little structure to it. Uh, I think a lot of well-intentioned discipling relationships just kind of fizzle out because there's no structure. And you say, hey, uh, we, should, we should meet up. And then you start meeting up. But, but there's no real, like, purpose or structure to it. Like, no one knows where these meetings are going. And, and then the meetings become less frequent. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you have met in a couple of months. And it's like, okay, well, this is kind of awkward. I guess that's that. I can think of many well-intentioned discipling relationships that kind of awkwardly fizzled out in that way. I think the easiest way to be intentional is just to, I don't know, have a set plan from the beginning. Uh, go up to a sister and, and say, hey, let's, let's study through the book of Ephesians together. Like, that gives you a set goal, right? Ephesians is not an unlimited book. It's, it's six chapters. And so if you say, hey, let's read through half a chapter at a time, that's 12 meetings, right? And, and you've structured it that way. Or maybe you're reading through a book. Hey, this book has X chapters. Let's divide it up and, and we'll meet this many times to cover the book, to discuss it, and, and, and talk about these things. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't continue to meet afterwards. Of course you can. But, but you've given yourself like kind of a, an end goal so that if you want to then move on to discipling another group of people or they want to move on to discipling another group of people, there you go. And so it's helpful to be structured. 
but also we need to be spontaneous. Because discipling, in both the teaching and exampling aspects of it, it doesn't only happen during the set-apart and structured times of meeting. It can happen at any time, which makes sense, because you are a Christian, uh, you should always be following Jesus, and so it makes sense that any time is a good time to show others how to follow Jesus. Right? It's not like we have, like, follow Jesus times of our week, and that's the only time we can disciple, because the rest of the time we're doing what we want. No, as a Christian, you're always living for Christ. You're always seeking Christ. You're always pursuing Christ. And so, at any time, anybody can be invited into that circle. Hey, follow me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that includes taking advantage of spontaneous teaching moments. You know who was a master of spontaneous teaching moments? It was Jesus. Like, you read through the Gospels, like, people come up to him and just, like, ask him, like, random things out of nowhere. Like, I don't know, uh, hey, uh, tell my brother to share my inheritance with me. And he uses that as a teaching opportunity, not to address that man's issue, but to teach the people about the foolishness of storing up your treasures here on earth. And when he was thirsty, he used that as a teaching moment to talk to the woman at the well about how he is the living water. And when people were hungry, another teaching moment to speak to the crowds about how he is the bread of life. If your Christian life has been anything like mine, you'll know that some of the times in which like, we've learned the most about the Christian life, it wasn't when we were like, sitting there and exegeting a text or reading a book with someone. It was just like casual conversations in which like, another brother would just start talking about the things of God or, or we're just spending time with someone and just becomes opportunities for biblical wisdom. Because a young parent, uh, the way I learned just the ins and outs of like, day-to-day parenting was just by spending time with older parents and watching what they did and imitating them. And then maybe there was a teaching moment, like maybe two of the kids were fighting or something like that, and that other believer would use that as a teaching opportunity to teach me about how parents can resolve conflict among their children. Or it could be an older woman inviting a younger woman over just to hang out with her and the kids on a Tuesday afternoon. And that's one of those like win-win-win situations, right? The kids are happy because someone else is over and and that's all fun. Uh, The mom's happy because, you know, she has another set of arms to help her uh, with all the craziness in the house. And the young woman's happy because she's getting discipled, right? Both through teaching opportunities and just watching examples of how the mom interacts with her children, uh, how the mom interacts with her husband. It could be just two brothers just grabbing something to eat, I don't know, lunch or something like that, that leads to a conversation of the things of God, that leads to, I don't know, sharing some of the struggles in, in your marriage, uh, that leads to a question about, hey, how do you study the Bible? That leads to maybe a time of reading the Bible together, whatever it might be. And so it doesn't have to be planned or, or regular or anything like that. I think it's helpful if we have structure, but it can also be totally spontaneous. And to the extent that whatever you're doing is purposely purposefully investing in that other person's spiritual growth, that they might be more like Christ? That's basically discipling. So application point number two, be structured and be spontaneous. Application point number three is to spend and be spent. Spend and be spent. 
Here's the thing. Discipling, like as we have described it, uh, discipling is hard. It, it can be a large investment of your time and effort and energy. And uh, I don't know about you, but like I think we are self-centered and lazy by nature. Uh, to go all out, to invest in someone else, that's not something that comes naturally to us. But then we see the gospel. And we look to the cross. We see that Christ gave everything for us. The Son of God took on human flesh and then humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Even the cost of the life of the glorious and eternal Son of God that was given to redeem sinners like us. Well, how then can we argue with the fact that we are called to spend ourselves through discipling one another for his sake? Paul says, 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will gladly, most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And so, brothers and sisters, as you think about discipling, be ready. Be ready to come alongside that brother or sister and just be spent for their sake, like to come home after an exhausting day of work where you just can't take on anything else, but still invest in their soul for that hour that you're going to meet up for coffee. To mark out time in your busy schedule for the sake of that other sister's growth. To be ready to be emotionally spent when, when you're holding that brother accountable and he falls once again that you might work together to seek restoration, look to the gospel, that's emotionally draining. But be ready to spend and be spent. It's hard work. But here's the thing. As a believer, it is one of the most glorious and rewarding efforts that you could possibly engage yourself in. Third John 4, John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now you take that verse at face value, it's a little bit puzzling, right? Because we might be thinking, well, shouldn't the greatest joy for a believer be Jesus? Right? It's like the standard Sunday school answer from when you were five years old. Like, shouldn't your greatest joy be Jesus? John, what are you talking about? That my children are walking in the truth. But I think that's the point. Right? Discipling is helping one another to become like Jesus. And so when through discipling you see someone walking in the truth, really pursuing Christ and living for Christ, you see a visible manifestation of Jesus and you see a living, breathing example of the work of the Spirit. Right? You see uh, the product of the power of the gospel of Jesus. And so for the believer, there's no greater joy than to see that, right? To see Jesus in the life of the one you're discipling. Listen to how Paul puts it in Galatians 4. Galatians 4.19, My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Right? That's the goal of discipleship, that Christ will be formed in you. And until then, I'm in anguish. I'm spending and I'm being spent for that sake. For, for the confident hope that he has in his disciples that God is indeed conforming them into the image of his son. So brothers and sisters of First Baptist Church, let's strive to that end. Let's, let's spend and let's be spent for that cause. 
to disciple one another that we might see Christ in one another. Father, we pray that you would indeed work in the saints here, convict us by your spirit, that we would truly desire to spend and be spent for one another's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.